Mike Demergis with the sports sit down with a former Yankee great, Jim Larratt, some of the biggest home runs in Yankee postseason history, 1995 game two against the Mariners. And of course, game four down six to three, that three run shot off of Mark Waller's sent Yankee fans into eruption. Jim, so great to talk to you uh, these days. What are you up to? No, thanks, Mike. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I've been in New York all summer. Uh, this is the first time that I've been able to kind of get back on my feet and, and come back to New York for the summer. Uh, the Yankees hired me for about 50 games to come in the suites and do some sweet appearances. Um, I, from the business side, I worked for a company called Amtrust Title. So I was here in New York all summer building up my title contacts, uh, of course. And then, uh, yeah, I just spent, spent most of my time here this summer. And we, uh, we're kind of going to be, I think, snowbirds uh, coming up the next four years because my youngest daughter is possibly going to FIT University here in New York. And uh, we'll see what happens. Well, when you see the contracts of some of these players and you hear what Aaron Judge is looking for, you probably wish you know you were playing today then. And when you play them, the money was decent compared to what Reggie or Catfish was making back then. So when, when you see these figures of Aaron Judge, possibly they're talking 30, 35 million dollars. What goes through your head? And two, do the Yankees have to sign a guy that's 30 years old and give him an eight year contract? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is for me, you know, as far as that goes, listen, if I, if I was playing these days, I made 11 million in my career. If I was playing these days, I'd make 11 in one year. Uh, so that's a little bit, but one of the things that I'm not one of those old guys saying that, oh, well, we could have gotten paid better. Bottom line was in 1994, we went on strike. And when we went on strike, the highest paid player was Frank Thomas. And he was about eight or 9 million. And I remember Donald Fair and Gene Orza trying to convince 150 of us up in New York, sitting around while we're on strike convincing us to stay on strike because one day players would make 20 million. And we laughed. We said, there's no way that's ever going to happen. And you know what? We believed in them. We stayed the course. And now you got guys making, you know, Matt Scherzer is making 43 million a year. Um, and you, of course, like you mentioned, Aaron Judge is probably going to be making anywhere between 35 and 40 million a year uh, going forward. I do think the Yankees, you know, have to give him the contract. They can, they need to keep him in New York, um, or you're liable to see the next hundred years of Babe Ruth. Uh, that, that's how big I think signing Aaron Judge is. Uh, you were part of a Yankees team that uh, that went on to win four World Series in five years. Um, you were part of that through through '96 and and '97, then '98. You went on to the Padres. And he came back in 99 for a bit. Uh, talk about a lot of criticism for Aaron Boone. Should he come back? Uh, you played for Joe Torre, Buck Showalter. What do you see in Boone? Do you see anything in Torre from, from Torre or Showalter in, in a young Aaron Boone? Do you think he's had his five years? Time's up. He's, he's not inspiring this team. Not to mention the, uh, the video that he showed with, talking with David Ortiz and sending out highlights. I mean, really, the Red Sox in 2004, do Yankees really need to see that? And, and I'm sure this generation of players is probably rolling its eyes. What are your thoughts on Aaron Boone? Yeah, you know, listen, um, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, the problem that you have, and again, I'm not part of the inner workings of the New York Yankees, so I'm just speaking of what I hear and my, my kind of judgment. Um, the bottom line is I don't think Aaron, Aaron Boone makes a decision on what and who to bring in 
who to start, uh, the batting order. I think all of that done is done by the front office. And I think that's probably why maybe last year before they gave him this three-year contract that maybe people thought Aaron Boone was going to be let go then. But I think he's being kept because he's willing to be that type of manager where you have people like Joe Madden, people like Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, who's now coming back, who have directly said, I will not manage if I have to manage a game before it's played. And then I can't watch a game and determine who I should use, what my matchups are going to be. I don't want to have it done by a computer. And I think that's one of the situations I think Aaron Boone is under. Um, I don't think he's making all these decisions. So will he be fired? I don't think so because again, those decisions are coming from somebody higher up. And um, I do think there is some accountability on Aaron Boone on getting a team ready to play at seven o'clock, motivating people from the inside, more of the mental side. Maybe there's something missing there that they may need a change. But the bottom line is uh, the order, the pitching changes, all that stuff I think is being done by somebody other than Aaron Boone. Now we saw the different batting order every night. They, they couldn't get a, you know, come to, together on a, who's going to play center field, shortstop. Donaldson was a waste at third base. Uh, as a player, do you have a problem? Would you have respect for a manager that's not making these decisions? Does that take away some of the authority that a manager had? Joe Torre had a presence about him. Buck Showalter had a presence about him. Does that take away from you as a player on how you feel towards your manager when he says something? Well, of course, you know, that, that, that is very, a very big key to what a lot of these teams are going through right now. And, you know, I played again, I'll bring him up again, Joe Madden, uh, you know, his situation with the angels, he has been very, very open about, he could not stand managing under their, their new regime because he wasn't allowed to make decisions. Here's the thing that's funny though, Mike, Joe Madden is the one that really was ahead of his time in 1997 as my bench coach with the Angels, who was talking about these Sabre metrics and how they were going to become important to the game. And he was kind of the creator of this. For him to be saying it's being used too much, it's being used way too much in the game, tells you that there's something going on. And I do think with the hiring of Dusty Baker, with the hiring you know, Terry Francona still, with some of these old school managers, now Bruce Bochy being hired in Texas. I think some of that's gonna come back and I think people need to get back to, hey, sabermetrics is a great tool, but it isn't the way to manage. It isn't the way to coach. When you gotta get these players ready for a seven o'clock game, throw your sabermetrics out of the window and use your eyes to determine what players are ready. Is it talked about in baseball circles that the game has become unwatchable because of all the strikeouts and, and the team seemed like the Astros, the Yankees struck, struck out 17 times game one the Astros struck out twice, you know, put the, the, the 90s team, put the ball in play, work the counts, got men on base. I mean, from a fan's perspective, baseball has been become tough to watch. Yeah. And I, and I think you can use the Astros as an example. You know, Dusty Baker came into that team when it was unfolding with all the cheating scandals and everything else that was going on. But Dusty Baker came in there and said, guys, listen, I'm not a big sabermetrics guy. You can use those as a tool, you can do it, but I'm gonna manage you guys because I believe in you. And you know what? Every single one of those guys, when they were talking about, 
even before the playoffs started, about playing for Dusty Baker. Every one of those guys had Dusty Baker's back and talked about what a great manager he was. That's that's what you want as a, as a manager for your ball club to, to respect you like that and to back you like that. You know, we had a situation with you know, the Yankees where Aaron Boone said he didn't use Clay Holmes because he wasn't available and he didn't want to overuse him. And then you go to Clay Holmes and he says, I was perfectly fine and I was ready to pitch. Some of that, some of those miscommunications and those things have to be cleared up uh, as far as the Yankees are concerned. Okay, so the manager's not making decisions, not making the lineup. He's not choosing the players that are on the field. Uh, again, Donaldson. I mean, you make go through 162 games and you realize your shortstop's not good enough. Uh, your third baseman is is complete albatross at third base, and you're unsettled in left field and, and center field. Is is it time for Brian Cashman to go? You know, you gotta get you gotta. There's there's pros and minuses to everything. I mean, Cashman. He did a great job of bringing in you know guys like Carpenter, who until he got hurt was the next coming of Babe Ruth. I mean, this guy you know was pulled off you know basically working a nine to five job uh, and, and brought in by Brian Cashman because Cash said I want a veteran on my bench and look what happened. Uh, has there been some other failures? Of course, but again, I just I, I don't know if the change is going to happen because. This game is run so much by the sabermetrics. And if this if that sabermetrics fail you, then yes, maybe there needs to be a change. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, again, Aaron Boone has had an opportunity. He's had 500 win seasons almost. And but the problem was, and I've said this since the beginning of sabermetrics. Sabermetrics is a lot like the New York Stock Exchange. You can have somebody that knows how to work the stock exchange that is that can make you money on a very conservative basis. But when it comes down to taking those chances, when it comes down to crunch time, like the baseball playoffs, all those numbers and all that crap has to be thrown out the window and you need an eye test and you need to know what guys you're going into battle with that can handle the pressure of the playoffs, because there is no sabermetric that can tell you what a guy is feeling inside and how he can handle that extra pressure of the postseason. And that's where I think this is where the failure on the Yankee part is. And some of these other teams, like the Tampa Bay, you know, the Rays that when they pulled out Blake Schnell three years ago, when he was pitching a no hitter almost, you know, those things have to be taken out because. The postseason is a whole different animal. Well, Yankee fans only have to reach back to the 90s for field of glory. Take us back to coming up in the system and stick Michael, put that team together, and you were part of that with some incredible play. I mean, a young Mariano Rivera, a young Andy Pettit, a young Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, uh, you name it, you were a part of. Take us back. What, what made that unit so special? Well, honestly, if I think if you talk to every player that played on those 96 to 2001 teams, or actually till 2003, because that's when Zimmer left. Um, when you have Joe Torre, who's the, one of the greatest managers of people and egos and knows how to handle players. And then you have somebody like Don Zimmer sitting next to him, who is Mr. Baseball, everything, you know, 70 years of knowledge sitting next to him. And then you also have managers or coaches like Willie Randolph, Chris Chambliss, you know, guys that have been there 
who have played in the postseason, who have won championships. As a player, when we get to the playoffs and the World Series, I can go to any one of those guys and say, Willie, Chris, how did it feel? Jose Cardinal, Tony Cloninger, how did it feel when you guys were in these moments? What did you do to handle this pressure? You had coaches and managers and bench coaches that you could rely on. And you know what? They don't have that now. And the teams that do have it are the teams that have been a lot more successful in the postseason than the teams that don't. Take us back to your signature moment with the Yankees game three of the World Series at home run off of Walt Wallers. Yankees that year only won 92 games, um, and they were underdogs in that series against it's Atlanta, and they were going against you guys were going against Hacksaws. Uh, what was going through your mind? Did you, first off, after two games, did you guys give up? I know Joe Torre said, told the boss, we're not ready for the first two games. Could you imagine telling Joe George Steinberg, we're not ready to play? A, were you guys not ready those first two games in Yankee Stadium? And were you confident going into Atlanta? And three, what was your mindset going to the plate against Mark Wallers? Yeah, no, listen, I think the first two games were kind of an albatross. I mean, bottom line is we were facing three Hall of Fame pitchers in that in that organization. And John Smoltz and Greg Maddox were on their A game. And it was Andy Pettit's, you know, first postseason start in game one. And I think he was a little bit nervous and a little bit, you know, the nerves got the best of him. Um, but the bottom line was Joe Torrey uh, did, did say to us on the plane going down to Atlanta that the Atlanta Braves were happy they won the two games in New York because then they didn't have to come back to New York to play anymore and that they could win it in Atlanta. And he used that kind of motivation to say, hey, guys, we don't have to win every game down here. But if we get this series back to New York, we're going to win this thing. And sure enough, that's what we did. But here's an example of the great part of baseball when you don't overthink things. When I went up to face Mark Wallers, I was not somebody that paid attention to all the reports and paid attention to everything that we did in the meetings. I wanted to know a few things. When I went up to hit against Mark Wallers, I looked at Don Zimmer and I said, hey, Zim, What's this guy got? And Don Zimmer didn't say, well, Jimmy, he's got this fastball slider changeup and a 2-2 count, he does this, and a 1-1 count, he does all this. All these things that they do now that that gets in their head. He looked at me and said, hey, Layritz, this guy throws 100 miles an hour. Get it ready. That's all he told me, all right? And I went up there, and I you know, watched Mariano Duncan hit before me, and I saw two sliders. So all I knew about Mark Wallers is he threw a fastball, at 100 miles an hour, and he had a slider. And I went up there with that in mind. And the bottom line was, had I maybe known that he had a forkball, and that was his second best pitch, I may have been looking for that instead of the slider. But again, Zimmer made it simple. Hey, he throws 100, get it ready. You know, that's that's the old school baseball. Hey, talk about going around the bases, I mean, going into the dugout, I mean, you just – from a pedestrian standpoint, we, we have no idea what anything like that feels like. Hey, we hit a home run in softball. I, I think it's a little bit different. It, just talk about going around the bases and getting the dugout. And, and did you guys feel like, all right, we're going to win this thing? Yeah, you know what? It was one of those things when we tied it up. And then, of course, Wade Boggs gets the bases loaded walk. Um, we knew. And then, of course, Charlie Hayes hits a fly ball that Ryan Cusco loses in the lights. And we go up eight to six. As soon as we got that last out, as soon as Paul O'Neill runs that ball down from Bologna, um, and we shook hands. We, you know, you get it, you get about a 15 minute period before the media is allowed in the locker room. 
And I remember Andy Pettit coming up to me going, thank God you hit that home run and we won that game. Because now I'm not pitching an elimination game tomorrow. I can get some rest tonight. You know, uh, I remember Jeff Nelson saying to me, dude, we did it. We're going back to New York. We're going to beat these guys. And, you know, we all had that confidence that said, this game was the most important game for us. We've won it now. And these guys don't stand a chance. And of course, Andy Pettit comes out the next day. And to me, I take more pride in game five because I was behind the plate and I called that game. And Andy only shook me once that entire game that we went and we won that game one nothing. Uh, it was pretty special to be part of that. And like you mentioned, Andy Pettit threw a one nothing gem there. And the fine, you close things out in six games and you beat Greg Maddox and Talk about the celebration in that pile that everybody has the images of that big pile and Paul O'Neill flipping over the top. Where were you in that pile and everything? Yeah, you know what? It was it was funny because uh, I, I, w- I was I was jumping in with Jeff Nelson and um, we were all on top of each other. We were all hugging and everything else. And Joe Torrey came up to me and said, hey, you need to get these guys together. We need to take a lap. And he wanted us to run around the field and thank our fans for the support that they gave us. And we organized that little run around the, the field. And it was one of the greatest things. It's where Wade Boggs jumps up on a horse, you know, and, and, and everybody remembers that iconic moment. Um, it was just a really great, a great feeling to be able to share that victory, to be able to win that World Series at home in front of our fans and to share that moment with them. Well, as a Yankee fan, I want to thank you for that because I hadn't seen a, a Yankee World Series win since I was about 14 years old. And so it was a long time for me to to celebrate that. And, I, and just you talking about that, I chills today. And then I can remember every game in that playoff, but I can't remember the other playoffs as much. But that 96 team, uh, there was something special. There was an angel over their shoulder for that team. Jim, thanks so much for a couple of minutes here and, and sharing the memories and getting getting your thoughts on the current Yankee team. Thank you much so much, Jim. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me.